You can be turning in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. What a great day to praise the Lord, isn't it? Thank you. Thank you. It is a great day to be here. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. In 1893, uh, the World's Fair was held in Chicago. 21 million people showed up at the World's Fair in 1893. Now, to put that in context, it wouldn't be for another 15 years until Henry Ford started manufacturing Model Ts. So this is pre-car days. It wasn't easy to drive to Chicago. It was 20 years after the great Chicago fire when most of the buildings had been burned in Chicago. The World's Fair was there. 21 million people from around the world gathered here in Chicago. And during that time, the World Parliament of Religion was formed and gathered there. And what they did during this World's Fair is that they got representatives from all the world religions together and they said, hey, let's put together a new religion using all the best parts of all the different religions. Well, obviously, Christians couldn't buy into this, right? And there was a lot of angst and a lot of grief and anger and antagonism toward this this world parliament of religions. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, held meetings during the World's Fair. He rented out churches, he rented out tents, uh, circus tents, he rented out every meeting hall, and he brought evangelists from all over the world into Chicago to preach during the World's Fair. Well, D.L. Moody was a man that was strong on his opinions, right? I mean, he didn't back off on sharing opinions. And his friends thought, well, he is just going to blast this World Parliament of Religions. But he didn't do that. And they asked him why. They were surprised. Why, why did you not blast this World Parliament? He said, I am going to make Jesus Christ so attractive that men will turn to Him. He preached Jesus. That Chicago campaign of 1893 was the most uh, productive, greatest evangelistic work of D.L. Moody's life. Because he chose to preach Jesus. Preaching Jesus is our strategy. In the midst of any controversy or conflict, it is preaching Jesus. Now last week we saw that there was a lot of conflict and controversy in this Colossian church. So... Enough so that Epaphras would make a thousand mile journey to Rome to get 
Paul's opinion on what they should do. And, and this letter is, is Paul's response to that. In our text tonight, we see that first and foremost, Paul preached Jesus. Now, he'd go on and he'd address different things, but they were all in the context of the preeminence of Jesus. Right now, it seems that our world has gone just a little bit mad. Things are crazy, it would seem. Economic, social, political, all these things come along. And the temptation is, is for us to get up and try to address each and, each and every one of them as standalone. No doubt, we have a lot to contribute in all these areas. But my friend, I was reminded this week through the words of D.L. Moody, but most of, certainly through the Apostle Paul, that when addressing any controversy or conflict, understanding the person and work of Jesus Christ provides the framework to do just that. If you don't start with Jesus high, lifted up, sufficient for all things, then we don't have a leg to stand on. And so I found it amazingly uh, profitable for me to think through the person and work of Jesus. Here, as he starts his letter, verses 15 through 20, you'll see Paul gives a magnificent description of of the beauty and the glory of Jesus. I think more clearly and more concisely than he does anywhere else. Anywhere else in the New Testament. And in fact, there are 15 different declarations about who Jesus is in these short verses. It's amazing. Now, most of us here tonight understand a lot about the truth of Jesus. Many of us were raised in homes that gave us the truth about Jesus from our childhood. For us, I think, as we look at the person and work of Jesus in this text, that the biggest danger is not knowing, but taking for granted who Jesus is. Not applying these great truths to life. Losing, if you will, a sense of the wonder and the awe that should rightly fill us when we look at the person of Jesus. John Owen, the great 17th century preacher, said it this way. He said, the subject of the person of Christ deserves our best thought and the best of our meditation." If our future is to be spent with Him gazing at His glory, then what better preparation for that day than to contemplate that glory as revealed in the Gospel so that we may be transformed into His image? What better thing could we do than to meditate upon Jesus? My hope is that we'll sense, get a sense of His beauty tonight. We're going to look just two things. Uh, we'll see his preeminence in eternity and preeminence in creation. Let's read our text. First, uh, 
Colossians 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. This is the Word of God. The first thing we see is that He is preeminent in eternity. Look at the first part of verse 15. Paul calls Him the image of the invisible God. One of the ways that I have found helpful to describe our existence is that we all live in an experiential bubble. We live in our own bubble. Everything that we can know by our own ability, our own intellect or experience lies inside this bubble. So, for example, if I grew up in a and South American jungle, untouched by any outside influence, I wouldn't know what a skyscraper was. I wouldn't know what an airplane was or a computer. I wouldn't know about video games. I would have no frame of reference at all because it lay outside of my bubble. I can't know anything outside my bubble unless somebody tells me who has been outside of my bubble. It doesn't matter how smart I am or how intellectual I am. I just can't know. We all live in a bubble. Everything that is supernatural, everything about God lies outside my bubble. I can't know it. I can't grasp it. I can't understand it. We cannot know anything about God unless He reveals Himself to me. By nature, I'm curious about what lies outside of my bubble, especially regarding God. Mankind in our imaginations all is, are always trying to pop and stick a pin in that bubble so that we can see outside. Always in our own efforts so that I can peer and discover what's outside my bubble. This is precisely what the Gnostics had done when they were trying to work with the ideas around creation and the existence of evil. They themselves were, by their own imaginations, were trying to look outside of that bubble. And that's why they came up with their philosophy that they did that was causing so much error here in the Colossians. It was their, ex uh, their attempt to explore outside the bubble on their own effort. The Bible tells us that it's impossible for a man throughout, uh, through his own efforts to know what lies outside the bubble 
until God reveals himself to men. And thank God that that's what he has chosen to do, both in creation and in sending Jesus Christ. He is stepping inside our bubble and revealing himself to us in ways and means that we can understand. This text says, He is the image of the invisible God. Image. The Greek word is icon. Does that sound familiar? An icon? A representation? An exact representation? Hebrews 1.3 talks about that Jesus is the exact representation of His nature. It's talking there about a signet ring that was stamped into wax and pulled off and it would leave then an exact impression of the ring. Nothing more, nothing less, but exactly the representation. Jesus then is the essence of the Father revealed to us. Exactly the full essence of His revelation. C.S. Lewis tells the story, one of my favorite stories, that he was pondering one day, the, uh, before he was a believer, he was pondering the thought about the impossibility of man knowing his Creator. And he was reflecting that it was just as, as impossible for a man to know his Creator as it was for Hamlet to know Shakespeare. The gap was too large. It was too big. That was impossible. But in true C.S. Lewis fashion, he recognized that by his own analogy, it proved exactly the opposite. That man could know God. For he thought the means by which Hamlet could know Shakespeare was if Shakespeare wrote himself into the play. And if he wrote himself into the play, and then Hamlet would have a conversation with Shakespeare, the author, he could know his Creator. In the same way, God sent His Son to come inside our bubble, or if you will with the analogy, to write Himself into the play and converse with men to reveal Himself to mankind in a way that there is no other way we could understand. God outside the bubble stepped inside the bubble to reveal Himself. God had to take that initiative. Preeminent in all of eternity. But also we see that He is preeminent in creation. Look at the second part of verse 15. He says, The firstborn of all creation, for by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, All things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So let's take it apart. We see here that Jesus is the Creator. He says He is the firstborn of all creation. And you think, wait a minute, 
does that mean that Jesus was born first in creation? No, that's not what it means at all. It means that He is preeminent in creation. He is first in rank and honor. First in priority, if you will, of creation. Also, it's used in Psalm 89 as the code word for the Messiah. Listen, he says, And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. So he's saying, not that he was born first, but that he is preeminent in his creation. We see here that he says, by him all things were created. Everything in the universe was created by Jesus. Four times in these four verses, we find the term all things. Do you think he's trying to communicate that really all things, all things were created by him? Now remember, the Colossians were facing this false teaching that somehow said that a good and holy and righteous God could not create evil material or could not create a world where there was evil. Paul sticks it to him right between the eyes and said, look, Jesus is the one who created all things, both material and invisible. Further, he says, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities. He, he's talking about the supernatural realm. He's talking about angels and demons. All things are created by Jesus, Paul says. But then he, does, he goes on and he says, not only does he create all things, but he sustains all things. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. You know, I talk, uh, talk about and think about Jesus being creator. But I marvel even more, I think, in knowing that he is the sustainer of all things. The tense of the verb that he uses here for hold together means that he has been holding things together since the very first creation. All throughout history, he has been sustaining and holding his creation together. His hand is upon every aspect of the universe for every moment. If for one moment he took off his hand, it would all disappear. But he has been sustaining the universe since the very beginning. All the science, all the sciences are possible because we can rely on him to hold it together. To be steady. From the flight path of the farthest planets and suns in the galaxy to the growth pattern of every blade of grass, He's holding it together. And His faithfulness never wanes. It never stops. We call this constancy of the hand of Jesus, His sustaining hand, we call them the laws of nature because they don't ever change. The only way we can discover the, the, the beauties of science, of, of, of physics and chemistry and biology and geology and all the sciences is because He sustains it all. He is the constant In a sad, almost comical way, we see that some of the scientific community scoff at the idea that God created the universe. 
I say, how could it not be? For we see more clearly our universe is far too wonderfully, intricately woven together, too complex for any other explanation to be made. It is such an intricate system from the biggest star to the smallest of particles. If allowed, for existence, uh, example, for if allowed, the, if our earth moved just a little closer to the sun or a little further apart, we either freeze or burn. But it's held just right. The earth's axis is at a 23 degree angle, which provides us our four seasons. If it were not so tilted, then the vapors of the oceans would move north and south, creating monstrous continents of ice. If the moon did not retain its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tides twice a day would inundate the land completely. I guess it wouldn't matter about the second time if we got it the first time, right? The world is so beautifully intricately complex and yet he holds it together with the strength of his word if the ocean floors were only a few foot deeper then the carbon dioxide and oxygen balance of the earth's atmosphere would be completely upset and no animal or plant could exist praise be to our god it is so intricately and balanced Not only was it created by Christ, but it was sustained by Him. Why? Verse 16 says, because it's all for Him. It's all for Him. He is the firstborn, the high King of heaven. He is the creator and uh, and sustainer of all things. And all of it is for Him. He stands at the head of all created things. Both material and spiritual. Both visible and invisible. And He declares His glory. He declares His worth. I am, He says. It is all for His glory. All of creation declares His worth, His glory, His wisdom, His power. All of it declares He is. All that was brought into being was to declare the worth and the beauty of our Savior. And for the delight of His children. Nothing exists for its own sake. Only for the glory of our King. All of our universe finds meaning and purpose. And it only comes into focus when we see it is for So, what do we do with all this? Well, I think the implications are massive. Let me just shoot a few at you. If the Bible really is true, and God created the universe, and now He sustains every single function of that universe, and has from the beginning of time, from the orbit of every planet, to every breath of your mouth, to every beat of your heart, to the flight pattern of every raindrop, to the holding together of every electron 
in the orbit around every atom. If God is the one, if Jesus is the one sustaining that, if He can do all of that without fail for all of history from the dawn of creation, do you think maybe He can take care of you in whatever situation that you face? Do you think He really is there? Whatever you're facing, is He in control? Can you face it then with courage and strength, trusting that this Savior who holds the world in the palm of His hand has got you even in the midst of this? There's no situation where He's wringing His hands and saying, man, I'd really like to help that guy, but I can't. How preposterous. He tells me all things come from His hand. And and He tells me that He's working all things for my good. And for some inexplicable reason, He tells me that He loves me. A love of such magnitude that He would send His own Son to buy my ransom. Man, I can stand up and shout, if God be for me, who can be against me? I am more than a conqueror through Him who died for me. Do you see that there's hope and there's confidence and there's courage found in the Creator and Sustainer of all things? Jesus Christ. Like these Colossians, when faced with controversy and conflict within the church and uncertain economic and political and social things outside the church, We can stand confidently trusting in our Savior. My friend, may I encourage you tonight to think and to reason, to bring all your knowledge and your wisdom to bear in understanding and trust in the Creator and Sustainer. The preeminent One in all of eternity and the preeminent One in creation. Your Savior. Jesus Christ. Let's pray.